season two of China's number one English language marketing podcast starts right now. Welcome to Shanghai Zhan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We'll be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts, and you can learn more about Shanghai John at our website, johnstation.com. Coming to you directly from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Witwong, and I'm Ali Kazmi. We'd like to thank everyone for their continued support, and if you like the show. Share with your friends, or better yet, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps a lot. And Ali, you know, we are in season two of our podcast. Season two, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I know, it's it's crazy. Season two feels very much like season one. <laughs> I don't know why. Why we did season two? It's simply because of huge popularity. I mean, we hit over a hundred fifty thousand downloads by the time this is launched. And as I mentioned uh, in the preamble,、uh, we've now hit the number one China marketing podcast in English. There are、uh, obviously Chinese language podcasts that do much better than us, but we're catching up on them very soon. You know, Ali, today we. Talking about creativity in the marketing and advertising industry, and we're honored to have one of China's most award-winning creative directors, my ex-colleague and your ex-colleague Andrew Locke, on today's show. Just a little bit about Andrew. He started in Singapore as a journalist for UPI, but he decided it was more fun to create news than report it. So he joined the advertising industry, and by the way, I got that part from his LinkedIn post. I thought that was pretty funny, so I included that in there. <laughs> After since、uh, raising the creative rankings of Ogilvy China, where、uh, Andrew and I were colleagues on the Motorola business back in 2007, which is a lot of fun.、Uh, we're both based. He was based in Guangzhou and then in Beijing. He moved to Shanghai, where he served as the ECD or Executive Creative Director for BBDO, and in 2012. He left the corporate advertising industry and started his own shop called Civilization. was based in Shanghai and is now one of China's top independent agencies. Andrew is also, as I mentioned, one of the most award-winning creatives in China and speaks Mandarin, English, and this is a new one on me. I didn't know this. German.、Uh, for those who don't know, Andrew has been the creative on some of the world's most popular brands: Pepsi, Puma, Tiffany, Wrigley's, BMW. It's a long list.、Uh, we could talk it for hours, but you know, this is the this is the thing, Ali. I don't know if you know this. His Pepsi ad, "Bring Happiness Home," is one of the most watched television ads of all time. Wow! With over one、no、billion views. We'll put the links into the podcast,、uh, into the show notes of "Bring Happiness Home." It's a magical place where Chinese New Year happens, where all the celebrities somehow show up at someone's home, where they all get together. I, I still remember the ad so well; it's incredible. Andrew also writes and directs short films, writes songs, and even poetry. His anthology of poetry, "I Am a Tourist," is available on Amazon.com, and we'll share the link in the show notes. But most importantly, you're known as the Locksmith. Not the keymaker, not the keymaker from <laughs> Matrix, the locksmith, Andrew. Welcome to Shanghai Zan. Thank you so much, and、uh, congratulations on your second season. I think it's pretty amazing, honestly speaking. I mean, 
what you guys are doing, right, is what a lot of people talk about, but they never really bother to execute because they think it's a little too hard. You know, the beginning is always, the first few steps are always the hardest, but you guys kind of like push through and I'm really proud of you guys. No, thanks, Andrew. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank, thanks for that. But, and it, it is, it is it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I love how Bryce yeah, is no, really taking it all in. He's no, like, no, I'm taking oh, it all yeah, in. Yeah, I like this. Like- Let's talk about <laughs> But let's not talk let's about, talk about, about us. Let's talk about you guys. No, I'm, I'm serious. So I, I really want to know, why do you call yourself the locksmith? I didn't, actually. I don't know whether you know Gary Tranter. He uh, was the uh, regional creative director at Ogilvy. And he was my ex-boss at Beatty, an agency that's been uh, usurped by WPP and has disappeared pretty much. Call me the locksmith. Because you know Aussies, right? You know, Australians, live, they love to give everyone a nickname. Ah, the Lockmeister, you know, the Lucky. And then finally, end up on Locksmith because he said I could crack any brief, which I thought was very sweet of him. So I kept the name. Yeah, so it's very sweet of him. Because oh, that's great. I came from a culture where it's, I, I I may not be as talented as you, but I overwork you. You know, back back in the day, right? There was one creative director in a ton of teams. There was no levels, so everyone had to queue up outside his office to show him work. So there was a Singapore Airlines brief, and um, when I showed him his work, right, he. He, he didn't criticize, he just says, you know, this is kind of disappointing. I expected better from you. So my partner and I, we worked through the night and next day where we just kind of inundated him with ideas. We gave him 70. I mean, they, they weren't all good, but there was so much of it, right, that he bought one. So I think, I think he taught me a lot about that. Sometimes, you know, I may not outperform you, but I will certainly outwork you. So he taught me a lot and he gave me my nickname. Gary Trenton. That's great. I mentioned in the introduction, I mentioned Bring Happiness Home. I don't know if your best work is probably your most famous in, mm. from, from my uh, past uh, as remembering it. But what is the mm. some of the most compelling work that you've done? Mm. And, and not necessarily the most award-winning, but the most compelling thing. And maybe uh, it could be one or two pieces that you did, the stuff that you love to do, the fire or the switched on the light bulb i th- i think uh ali wrote a number of metaphors here could you talk about one or two pieces of work that that was really a powerful impact on you in terms of your experience and career in the in doing creativity for advertising specifically advertising or any creative work any creative work anything that moved you so it's meant not to be something that was award-winning but it's meant to be something that actually moved you three things came to mind i think you'd be lucky in life i mean some people are ridiculously talented like uh, david droger he turns he churns out stuff that that's amazing his teams churn, churn out stuff that's amazing he creates a culture that churns out stuff that's amazing every year i'll be lucky to get one piece a year that i like honestly speaking i'm not being i'm not being humble or anything you know i, I kind of know i know it's pretty hard to to push things through I've always told my staff, when you said award winning, I almost cringed because I haven't won awards in a long time. When people come for an interview, right, I always tell the kids, you may not win awards here, but you'll never have to explain. When you go home right, for Chinese New Year, you never have to explain to your family or friends what you do because the work will be all around you. In advertising, in Chinese, right, advertising is called guanggao, guangfang de gaoshi. So you have to broadly spread your message. I mean, that's a rough translation, right? So I've always believed that when we came to China, like when I worked with you, Motorola, I always wanted work to be seen and not just you know seen by 12 judges at Cannes. That's not my objective. So when Bring Happiness Home came about, I mean, all credit to the Pepsi clients. I think Richard Lee, Tony Yang, these guys came up with it. And all we did was build up on that platform. The Monkey King thing, that hit ridiculous amount of views. There's like 800 million views or some, something like that, right? I think that had a lot to do with the client. Danielle, the, she's the head marketing at, head of marketing for Asia Pacific, uh, the Visa, the credit card now. She didn't even 
look at the storyboard. All I presented was a simple PowerPoint. She bought into the idea. We flew up to, to Beijing to interview the guy who played the Monkey King. He told us his life story. We came back. Mia Wang, my writer, then she wrote it. We shot it. The clients didn't attend the shoot. I still remember they wanted a short version, a one-minute version, which I did. I cut it down for them for one minute. And that was the one they were initially going to push their mainstream media on. But then it hit like two million views in like an hour, less than an hour. So she said, you know, let's go for the eight and a half minute version. And she bought a link on WeChat. That was the first time they sold ads on WeChat. And it just took off from there. So that was probably the work that just kind of freakishly became famous because I never expected it. That was the first time I actually did a major uh, directorial piece of work for a big brand. I mean, I've done other smaller stuff, but it's hard to find a big brand to actually trust you to put so much money into you and make it the push of their entire... Their, I mean, Chinese New Year, as, I mean, as some of your listeners may or may not know, right, takes up 20 to 25% of a marketer's budget every year for especially fast-moving consumer goods. So it was a really big bet she made on me. I'm really pleased because I've always believed that regardless of how creative you are in the advertising business, right, it all boils down to the sophistication, the courage, and the, the commitment of the client, and that's it. It's her choice. It's her taste. If she has great taste and, and lots of guts, right, you get far. That made an impact on me. After it happened, I asked her why. She said because you had a son. Because uh, at that mo- at that time, right, my son was a few months old, and I spent a lot of I took six months off to spend time with him. He said if this was the Andrew I knew back then, you know, when I was a freewheeling kind of troubadour, you know, a, a kind of like a, a traveling man, right. She wouldn't have bought into me. She liked the stability that I, I kind of demonstrated after fatherhood. And I think that was very touching for me. Rewinding back, I think the film that probably, which I didn't direct, it was directed by David Choi, right? That probably started it for me. It was probably the first episode of the Swan Tien Kula, you know, the flavors of life. I think Wrigley's, I can't remember the English translation. And that was also due to Clarence Mack, you know, uh, when we presented to it to him in Guangzhou, right? He, he, he didn't know who I was you know, I, It was summer I wore my shirt up to here To reveal a cleavage I used to have a huge pectoral muscles I remember that very so much kind of distra- it, was, it was very Thank distracting you so much. in the office At Ogilvy <laughs> <laughs> And you know he, he loved the idea so much right? And because it's Wrigley's They had to test everything And the idea tested horribly It was horrible And he still went, he still went for it He still went for it And you think about it I mean a lot of clients right? They think that they can they, I mean they can ride the growth of, of the entire market and every year you grow by 10, 15, 20% even if you're lucky, right? But he bet it, he went all in and just Wrigley just took off from there and he went on and on and on one episode after another. I wasn't in, involved after that. It was Arthur and Howard and the rest of the BBDO Guangzhou team. And uh, he went from the marketing director of Wrigley's right, to, the, to become the chief consumer officer worldwide of the Mars group. So I always tell clients this story because I say if you really bet on something once a year and get famous, right, chances are you'll go really far. But I would say the work that made a personal impact most on me in the last three years, and as you know, the last three years have been kind of complicated for all of us. <laughs> I, I wanted to get something out before I left China in 2020 because I knew it was going to be a lockdown. So I wanted to spend time, I wanted to spend the lockdown with my family. So I wrote a song. I wrote a song called Whatever Because I believe in love Whatever And I shot a video for it And uh, we recorded it in, in Singapore 
and Jonathan, who was uh, the arranger, he played the piano, arranged it. Because I can write, but I can't really play very well. Uh, we received a text, a message from his wife about a year later. We, we didn't know he had cancer. And uh, that was the last piece of work he, he did. And they, he requested it be played at his funeral. So yeah, that, that kind of cracked me up. Yeah, so I mean, sometimes you you do stuff, right? And you never know the kind of impact you have. But if you put your heart into it, right? You know, wow. if it touches you, chances are it'll, it'll touch someone else. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so that 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 kind of killed me. When when I I heard that, that that kind of yeah broke me down. And the song is available to yeah, yeah it's, it's to on hear. Spotify. Yeah, it's on it's on Apple. Cool. So we'll put a uh, we'll put a sure. link of the song on the show notes for everyone to listen. Thank you. So one question I had, and this is always something regarding people that come from different places and spend a good part of their careers in China. Uh, you come from Singapore, but you've been in China for now under 20 years. How much of the success do you credit to your experiences in China over Singapore? Or do you think it's a combination of the two? What brought you to China and what keeps you here? You know, what Would you recommend young creatives to venture into to China? Would it be an exciting place for creatives today? Or is it completely different now? I deal with a lot of kids now, right, millennials, you know, as Simon Sinek says, you know, he, he's very forgiving, but I'm, I'm perhaps less forgiving than him, right? Everyone says, oh, I want my passion and, you know, I'm looking for my goals in life, my hopes and dreams and stuff like that. I came to China for one reason only. I needed a job. That's it. I was unemployed. Uh, I wasn't getting any offers in Singapore and I was freelancing and I got a phone call from Kai Ming and he was saying like, hey, Andrew, I'm sitting here with TB Song, you know. Have you heard of a city called Guangzhou? I said, yeah, I have, you know. Would you like to be ECD? I said, yeah, sure. And that's it. I thought I'll come here, check it out for a few years and leave. And it's been almost 19 years. I've, I've always believed that wherever you go, there you are. You make yourself whoever you are at that place at that time. I think you can plan for the next 100 meters. You can plan to run to the mountain 100 kilometers away. But the middle, right, that middle bit, there's always a lot of luck and a lot of people helping you along the way. So I always try to focus on the, the 100 meters in front of my nose and, and look at that mountain and say, that's where I want to be. How I'm going to get there, I'm not sure. I'll figure it out. So that's always been my philosophy. As for being Singaporean, right? I write a lot better than I speak, as you will discover, right? That's because I credit to a really good education in Singapore. I was lucky. I went to one of the, one of the best schools, Anglo-Chinese school. I got in primarily because my, my mom bribed somebody, I think. Thanks, mom. I think she did. There was no way I could have gotten in because there was a two-child policy then. I was the fourth kid. There was no way I could have gotten in, but I think she bribed someone. So I got in. It, had a, it, was, a, it was a Methodist school, so it had an excellent English education. And I, I, kind of, I kind of learned right from there. Her name was Shirley Song. She was not, she was, I was nine years old, primary two. I wrote a little story about an alien missing home. She read it and she says, you, you, never have to, you can never stop writing stories, never. And she kind of coached me from there and uh, that's been my thing ever since. So I credit that part to, 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 to Singapore. And the fact that my mom, my mom just let me do whatever I want. I think she was tired. By the time it came to me, right, she, I was the fourth kid, the youngest. She was just exhausted. So she, she just let me be. And uh, I rode a little red bicycle uh, made in Poland called Universal. And it was called Universal. And in, in ever-increasing concentric circles, right, I would ride and just leave home a bit more every day. And because I was always by myself, I kind of created friends in my head. And that really helped with, with the whole, whole like, uh, 
grounding right in in creating worlds the storytelling i mean it's a lonely it's a lonely childhood uh, but you know it really armed me for for china and as for china right it's just been one big adventure as you would know right and i i hate it when sorry i don't hate it sorry i kind of always cringe when i hear marketers or every time people especially foreigners right, who say i know china like really you do you know, you know how big this place is. You know how diverse the markets is. Yeah, I still don't know. Exactly, I know a little tiny corner of it, and I try to lo- know a little bit every, a little sliver every single time I travel for shoots. So it's, I've been really grateful about for this experience. I mean, I know it's been difficult, and you know, I don't again don't have any arguments about politics and you know policies and and whether it's autocratic or whatever. I mean, it is as I like to say, right? Not my circus, not my monkeys. I'm just grateful to be a guest here. And uh, if one day that I feel that the place doesn't doesn't value doesn't value want me anymore, then I'll, I'll leave. And I think that's fine because it's it's not home, you know. I hate to say, it, but it's not. Previous guest of ours mentioned know your China sell by date. I thought it was a very uh, uh, astute observation that yeah. probably applies to to almost everyone, regardless of what you're doing. No, oh, my sell by date is coming soon. I'm sure. I mean, you ask me about influencers, KOLs, new social media platforms, leveraging all this technology, metaverse. You know what? It's not that I'm not willing to learn. I'm just not that keen on it, you know? I still like to just tell stories and shoot and write. I mean... Why not? I think there's... Is it a Russian proverb? You can do anything, but you can't do everything. And I've chosen my anything, which is I want to write, I want to tell stories, I want to shoot film, I want to use the cinematic, cinematic experience you know, to actually touch people, give people hope. And that's, that's what I've chosen, I think. But do you think it's relevant anymore? Do you think that storytelling is still important? I mean, storytelling for the last, what, hundred odd thousand years, right, has been didactic. It's always been to convey values and culture or lesson. It's, it's a way to teach, right, to our kids, right, is to impart. I think that's still valuable. But uh, how it's taught, maybe it's going to be very different. Like, I, I'm such a I'm such a dinosaur, right? I just wore my my Oculus for the my friend's Oculus for the first time, and I saw a little film about a father, a single parent, divorced family, of course, a, fa- a black father and her child, and her child is a football player, soccer, you know, and she wants to go to Australia to take part in a competition. And the father, you know, insecure, right? Letting your teen daughter leave home for the first time, you're always insecure. And you get into an argument. And I wore the VR. And I was in her room. I could choose to watch them argue. But I could turn around and look at her homework on her desk. I could see the little guitar on her side. I could see her, her, her football boots hanging there. And it felt weird. I felt like I was party to their relationship. And I could imagine, because a lot of the stories I've written, I said, if... It was done that way, right? That VR experience. How would it feel? Would it feel too intimate? I, I was I was challenging myself because as a storyteller, as a director, or what we do, right? We direct the eye. We want you to see a certain thing, take in a certain information at a certain time. We want to create a kind of emotion in you. But for gaming, for games, for this new VR experience, right? You're actually you have a choice as a viewer. And personally, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I feel I don't know because. In a sense, right, when you're a director, you're curating and guiding the viewer. Now we are putting the power in the viewer's hand. It's like sleep no more, right? You know, engaging theater, right? Actually being able to engage characters, right? How would you respond? I mean, it, it is... I mean, Scorsese would call it a theme park ride, you know? <laughs> Correct? 
it's not a movie, it's a theme park, right? Okay, maybe, but I don't think he meant it to denigrate the Marvel Universe or this new experiences, the game experiences or theme parks in general. I just think that he feels, he feels cinema is a separate thing and I'm still in love with the cinema form. It's not that I wouldn't explore virtual reality and stuff like that on the metaverse. Of course, I'm, I, you know, I like to learn stuff. But would I th- go all in personally? I will not. And it may be a mistake on my part, but you know what? I'm 51. I've earned the right to do whatever the, whatever the hell I want, you know? I think so. But doesn't this also give you an opportunity as a viewer to get to know the character a lot more intimately? And isn't that a good thing? By understanding some of the backstories, you mentioned how you went into this virtual reality space and you got to see some of the objects and some of the, some of the things that this, 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 this girl had in her room. Um, that, that gives you a lot more texture on the character and some of the backstories. Isn't that an opportunity for, for advertising and communications and storytelling? Absolutely. Okay, but I, I see two... I mean, I see, I see the upside, but I see two things that I can't control, or rather, as a marketer, brand marketer, or an advertising person, you can't control. One is the level of engagement. If you play games, right, which I don't, my missus is a huge gamer, right? Uh, she plays GTA, Grand Theft Auto, I mean, she's hardcore. She does all the missions. She kills people, you know, stabs people. You know, she does every sinful thing possible in that game. But I've noticed in many versions, they always restrict it to an island, because within an island, they create enough scenarios and possibilities, right, for you to explore. So, if I, as a viewer, go into her world, like that world of that bedroom, and I keep digging and digging and digging, and I hit a wall, whereby there are no more, there's no more code, then I'm taken out of that experience. I say, okay. It's just a game, you know. So I'm not sure whether that emotional engagement right, would be interrupted. That's one thing. The second thing is, right, I like what John Haggerty likes to say. He says, or is it Dan Wyden? I can't remember. He says, don't try to know me. You know, marketers, sometimes we try to know our consumers and we try to get so detailed into your life. And especially with media buy that's, that's programmatic and tar- targeted, it, it irritates the hell out of me because I, 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 I talk about, oh, Jesus, I missed that. I should have bought that Fender Telecaster 72, you know, with that, that thin line thing that I saw in Hong Kong. Damn it, it was in that Tiffany blue. And an hour later, I'm, I'm pushed guitar ads and it irritates the hell out of me. So I'm worried, right, that if we get too much into letting a consumer know everything, right, and vice versa, right, would that experience be too intimate? Would brands be too engaged know me too much I worry about that I don't know how you guys feel about it no what you just said struck me as well I think it's um, there's a secrecy right the the imagination the dreaming then you know there's none of that but when you when you show something to someone and it leaves someone with more questions than answers then that idea or that thought carries beyond the medium that they first experienced it Yes, and that's very, very powerful. That's a lot more powerful than letting someone just continue to immerse themselves within a VR setting. Music changed my life. I was seventeen years old, and I learned to play the guitar, and it completely changed my life. Because a song doesn't have visuals, so a song, right, will connect us, but the visuals for you are specific to you. So when I came to China, right, I thought that no one would like the music I like. Yeah, but the internet changed everything. That day I was in uh, I was in Changlelu in a small bar I can't remember the name of it anyway they had a guitar there and we were playing and these two girls were drunk <laughs> absolutely wasted and they woke up when when they noticed my friend and I were playing guitar and singing so she said do you know any Beatles she was twenty years old 
do you know any Beatles? I said, really? You like the Beatles? Like what? You know, like, like I wasn't being like condescending, but you know, you think Beatles, they'll know like yesterday or hey Jude. So I t- tell her, I'll play you a song. If you, if you can identify it, I'll play Beatles for you the entire night. You know, I played Norwegian Wood. Down, 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 down. I played all the, the, the kind of like sitar-like parts, right? She identified it, right? Immediately. And I realized, you know, you know, with the internet, right, you can access and Spotify with its algorithms, right? If I like a certain style of music, you, it'll just link you back and forth. What, what they call it? It's called the atemporal world right now, atemporality. Time doesn't even matter anymore. We used to have books where one book would inspire the next book and this book inspire the next book. And if you want to learn something, you have to go to the library to dig it out. But these guys, they just look for it and it links to everything else. It's an atemporal world. And that's what, that's what links me to what you were saying just now. You know? It's like, the imagination, right, is only limited to whether you're lazy or not to look for that stuff. And she obviously wasn't lazy, you know? I think in some aspects, if you look at how the internet has changed intimacy in the definition of it, if you look at how people connect with social media influencers and the, the relationships they build, I mean, it was one thing when I was a kid and we played cops and robbers and we would pretend to be the the characters on the TV show. Now it's like a two-way relationship where I can actually talk with them. I can actually engage in this in this dialogue where they open up much more than they normally would. The influencers, the influencers or the celebrities. If it's the celebrities, I think you're probably talking to their their PR and corporate communications team. <laughs> no, definitely. I think in this case the influencers. So my my point is that communications in that context has become much more open. And maybe there is a requirement for storytelling to have a greater degree of intimacy that would allow, enable uh, users to get more inside the, the, the experience and be able to see the homework on the child's desk. I'm just saying as an example, because now it's not a one-way contextual relationship where we just watch a video and it's over. It's actually, there's an interactive dialogue and people are looking for more of those kinds of experiences. So maybe that would justify having this kind of interactiveness within, within a communicative sense because the, the level of expectations is so high now. Do, do, you guys, do you guys game? No, not at all, hardly. I don't know if Ali does. Ali, you game? Yeah, I do. I, I, I don't game, but I, my friends do and I watch a lot of it. It, it is a form of escapism, right? Because uh, we want to be the hero of our own adventure. We want to have choice. As an alcoholic, I shouldn't say this, but you know, I find, it, I find gaming a bit of a drug because we're unwilling to engage with our own lives where we dive into this form of entertainment. I'm not criticizing gaming. Uh. I mean, all my friends do it. I know it's a, it's a great escape and stuff like that. It's, it's, I'm just being a dinosaur. And I'm, I'm frightened to get into it because I, I am uh, addictive. I have an addictive personality. When you, you, when you talk about all these things about a two-way street, right? I actually want to keep, personally, I like to keep a bit of distance between me and the thing that touches me. I'm frightened if I go into it, right, I'll go into a really dark space. So that's for me. Pizal Yang Guang, more sun, sunny and sunshine kind of personality. How many, how, maybe a brighter person would be able to deal with it a lot better because I'm not that kind of person. And I know if I get into it, right, when I too, get too engaged, right, it might actually drag me in. You know, you know the whole fan economy thing in China? The fans, fan groups of celebrities and stuff, they are obsessive, you know? For them, right, they are icon, they're celebrity, right? They're almost like their mother, you know? They're feeding him energy and cash and obsessing over it, right? 
when I watch it, right, because I shoot, a, I shoot, I've shot almost every celebrity in China, almost the top ones, uh, all thanks to Pepsi and and, Kang, and Master Kong, Kang Shufu, you know, all these brands, right? They hire the top celebrities, right? and what the, the extent these fans go to, right, it stuns me. I saw a WeChat group. This guy right, will sell slots. Okay, basically he knows where the celebrities are shooting at all times, and he'll sell slots. Okay, there are three more slots here, three more names, Sangam Binger. Okay. You can get apply for this three thousand RMB a piece, and they're talking to seventeen year olds, eighteen year olds, okay, or even younger. So these kids they scrunch up their money to buy a slot, right? To to get a little name tag. The tag says or crew or staff. Then they'll try to sneak in and try to see their celebrities. I find it kind of damaging that a seventeen year old or fifteen year old from a small third tier city. I don't know what what kind of money she has to borrow to fly all the way to Shanghai to attend a shoot, and this this really killed me. They squatted. They snuck in the night before and squatted in the toilet, waiting for the shoot to start. And our security caught them. And our producer was really kind because she's a mother herself. She got them a hotel room and said, "You know, you guys stay there, and the next morning you guys can leave, but you can't attend the shoot." And they were like in tears. You get what I'm going? I know what you're saying about engaging and how you have a two-way conversation with all these influencers and celebrities and their teams, right? But it's become such a shtick, you know, that you can access them, right? They forget that they are just stories. They are not your friends. They are not your family. You know, they are just stories. I I don't know. Does this sound too negative? <laughs> I think you've made a very good point. I I think that you're probably right. That in effect, you can cross the line. You can go too far. Fantasy starts to become more reality. And and so what you're describing is people that don't know the difference. Some of these fans, right? Their lives revolve around that. Influencer or that celebrity, they've forgotten to live their own, and it frightens me a little. I think, and a lot of the influencers, they know. I mean, practically speaking, they know their their fame may last only two to three years or even less. So they're trying to monetize. They're trying to cash out as soon as they can. So I'm not sure. This is um. I don't know. I don't have a solution to this, but I I don't find it terribly healthy. You know, I'm a big fan of uh. I'm a big fan of Edward Norton. I'm a big fan of 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 Brad Pitt. I'm a big fan of uh. You know, I'm a big fan of directors like Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve, but at no moment right, do I think that you know what we should be friends. Hey, buddy, let's hang out. You know, it's not going to happen. You know, one question I had, Andrew, was just a little bit about looking at your time in China, our time in China, all, all all three of us. When we first came here, there was a certain style of of advertising that you did. It was. Always about uplifting optimism, success for the taking, riches at every doorstep, the man who knows gets the shivas bottle, the shots passing the the luxury stores. I remember so cliche that even if you dubbed in Taiwanese accents, you couldn't play the ads in Taiwan because people knew it was a China ad because no one in Taiwan would think like that. I always wonder now, given the current state of China. Is not necessarily as less optimistic than it was maybe ten years ago. A lot of young people are unemployed, and this is not to be negative on China. Most countries go through these these issues. Life is cyclical. People are facing an uncertain future. I mean, from an advertising perspective, is this more room to play? Is there more stories to tell? Is this more? Connections that you can make with people than than maybe before, or is it is it really hasn't changed that much? On three levels, we can we can we can I can answer that question on three levels. It's stuff right that's targeted 
towards officialdom, as in stuff the party has to see, right? Obviously, it'll still be uplifting and positive. Either that or it'll be really heart-wrenching and touching, you know, celebrating the, the courage and bravery of the common man against, you know, against the all odds and against floods, against coronavirus, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, that kind of stuff, I mean, it still looks great. It's illegal, right, in Singapore, right, to be a communist. But if I could join the Communist Party of China, I'd do it. I think they could use better ads. I think they could use better ads, you know, honestly speaking. And what do I do? I do Renwen. I do stories about people, you know. I do what, uh, I do uh, Tinghuai. I do stuff about nostalgia and stuff like that. My God, I'll be great at that. So I, I've always thought that I'd, I'd make a, quite a good propaganda chief. But anyway, that aside, that's one level, okay? The second level, right, is the silly stuff. So basically, right, Nowadays with TikTok, Douyin right, over here, right? People just want to have a laugh, you know. They they have like thirty seconds in between meetings, you know, or they are on a on a taxi ride. They just want, they want to just swipe and have a laugh, silly little videos, you know. So that's that's pretty much the silly stuff because they want to escape from the the grind of the the real world. So I see a lot of creativity there because basically a lot of these influencers they don't know how to really cater to brands, they just do whatever the hell they want. Then there's the third stuff which I actually find really elegant. There was this influencer I just recently met on Xiao Hongshu. She does Xiao Hongshu. She does uh, Instagram. She does Weibo. She's got like a million plus fans. She shoots. She writes. She shoots. She edits herself. She has great taste in music. I mean, she's pretty, obviously. But she talks about lifestyle, food, her life in, in, in Shanghai and stuff like that. And I, when I watch people like that, I realize there is a whole lot of talent out there. And they're finding ways to express themselves. I mean, human beings, right, there's no way we can suppress us. We'll find ways to express ourselves. So I'm actually pretty optimistic things are getting better. But whether they'll reach mainstream attention, I'm not sure. Because if I were a marketer right, and I could, put, I could pump $3 million into a commercial, which I will then be unsure of whether I have money to actually screen, right? why don't I pump $3 million in a couple of influencers and I know I'll sell out the stock within a week? So I think I understand the dilemma for clients. It's hard for us to tell them, oh, you know what, build brands, brands in the long term will, will, will you know, be, be more sustainable in terms of your, your market and all that stuff. Sometimes when I say stuff like that, I sound a bit spurious. Because <laughs> if, if I was starting my own brand now, right, I'd probably, I'd probably want it to be a success straight away rather than wait 10 years for, to build a brand. You get where I'm going? I've had this conversation many times, a senior marketer who I really respect, she said, We've gone both directions, you know. We've done an A-B test. On the A side, we, we ran the emotional ads. and the B, we hired the influencer, and the influencer did better. Uh, of course. You, like, uh, you know, during, during the lockdown, right, all the sales, all the apparel and sports brands went down, especially for, for foreign sports brands, you know. Now it's all like support local and all that stuff. My good friend at New Balance, the general manager, started to do Douyin and TikTok. He started to focus a lot more on social influencers, store openings, and stuff like that. And businesses took off again, you know. So, I mean, as storytellers, I mean, of course, I would love to tell a compelling brand story and stuff like that. But the avenues to actually broadcast that thing, right, has become so expensive and so limited. And, and media has been so fragmented, fragmented, right? If I were a marketer, I'd be hard-pressed to, to press the green button and say, yeah, go for it, you know. So I, I understand where they're coming from. I do. I want to ask about uh, civilization and how did that come about? I mean, you've, you've talked about the 19 years in China. You've had some amazing experiences over here. Uh, you've also talked about the fact that you're a guest in this country, but you've found yourself setting up a company. Um, you've found, you 
set some roots, you planted roots in this country in the form of civilization. Um, why? I think it was a tail end of a, my first midlife crisis. <laughs> okay, okay, but honestly speaking, okay, okay, it, um, um, I've worked with some incredibly talented people in my life in the big agencies, and but there's only one, there's only one chief creative officer job per agency. That doesn't mean that, that the nine people who are left behind are not talented. It just means there was only there was only room for one. So I knew sooner or later, right, my time would come that I'd have to go because I'm not the sort to, I'm not very polit. Okay, sorry, I I choose not to be too politically astute in a big corporation. I'd rather just write. So um, when when Weibo, you know, their their version of like um, I don't know what you call any Weibo, their 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 social platforms and and WeChat started, right? My partner back then he was one of my creative directors. He said, "Hey, bro." Um, I think there's a great opportunity for creating a lot of content on these platforms. Have you thought of doing something on your own? And I was approaching my 40th birthday, and I knew, I just knew in my heart, behind me, right, really soon will come someone more talented, younger, and a lot cheaper. <laughs> you know, I knew I'd be replaceable, so I said, okay, let's go for it. And uh, at that time, I approached my agency. Uh, we approached because we wanted, we were conservative. We said, you know what? Would you like to be a majority owner in our agency? And we'll do conflict accounts, accounts that BPO can't handle. And of course, they declined, and uh, so we left. So and uh, it was hard, uh, you know. I I cried the first six months because I was so poor. I was down to my last five dollars forty four cents, and I'm talking about RMB, uh, not not US dollars. You know, I had to borrow money from friends. Yeah, you know, I had to sleep. I had to sleep at my. <laughs> I sleep at my friend's place, you know, Mike's place, Simon's place. But I was thinking, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. I was 40 years old, you know, and I still have a, a bit of energy left. If you asked me to do it again, I wouldn't. I'll, I'll get, I'll get a cushy retirement job at, at at Apple or something like that, you know, doing translation for them. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, all, all all credit to Apple, they're amazing, but they do hire ridiculously talented people to do really simple stuff. So, yeah, which is great. I think that's fantastic. I love a retirement gig at Apple. <laughs> Tim, are you listening, Tim? What's next? I mean, you've been a company owner, a poet, a songwriter, creative director. What do you see yourself doing next? What are the driving force behind the a life of consistent reinvention? I mean, 51 is not, I mean, to be honest, I, I got a few years on you, Andrew. Uh, so I definitely think that there's more opportunities to reinvent. So what's the next reinvention? For the next, for the next five years, I want to be a dad and I want to be a son again because my mom's 87 my son is 7 you know I don't I don't want to miss out on her her twilight years and I don't want to miss out on his childhood because when they turn teenagers as you would know you know I think they'll be spending a whole lot more time with their friends which is fine I think that's correct and after but while I'm there right because I'm in Singapore a lot I'll still be writing I'm working with a producer now wonderful producer called Emma Nebrona and uh, Tom Price. We're, writing, we're developing a series that HBO is quite interested in. So I'm, I'm trying to get my act together to do something outside of advertising. And there's so much demand right, for Asian-based uh, content out there. You know, they want to see Asian faces on interesting stories. And it's pretty much impossible to do that in China now because of the restrictions on what, what stories you can tell. You know, There's a lot of political ramifications. Right, if you, you know, but there are none outside of China so I'll probably explore that 
I mean, civilization, you know, it'll always run itself. So, <laughs> I mean, we're about 129 people now. And if I still have to be hands-on, right, it means I've done a really bad job at hiring. You know? yeah. So I guess my next seven, five to seven years, I'm hoping to be a good dad. We've talked about you as a poet, I think, at least twice. Can we get you to share one of your favorite pieces? I want to hear about family. I was brought up by, by women, basically. I, I had um, my mom, and she had a very close friend that she met on her first day in Singapore when she arrived from Hong Kong. And uh, it was like a big sister to her, and, and this I call her Taiya, and uh, and she never married, and she treated me almost like her child. She pretty much she loved me as much as my mom. I, I would I would assume. So uh, she always wanted me to get married and have a kid, you know, she, so she could be a kind of grandma. But I I, I kind of missed out on that. Visiting visiting my aunt at a home for the elderly. She has deformed thumbs, snake heads. She calls them. Her whole family is the same. My father said that we would always recognize each other. She smiled, scattering the lines of her face. All five of us, my sisters and my brother. Family. Is it casually genetic or an exercise in will? This thought left me as I left her. Left her for my own life, for my turn to grow old. So that was something I wrote for her. Yeah, it was the first, it's actually the first poem in this thing. Yeah. I, I wrote this as a promise because I promised my wife I'd do something that's not advertising before I turn 30, before I turn 40, uh, before I turn 30 actually. But obviously I lied. You know, I, I couldn't get this thing done until I was 40 years old. But everything here right, was written before I was 30 years old. So sometimes when I flip through this book, I don't recognize that person anymore. It's very strange. Awesome piece. Ali, are we ready for the A-B test? What's an A-B test? The A B test A stands for Ali, B stands for Bryce. It's a uh, it's a uh, we basically throw two two words, two questions, um, two sentences at you. Whatever comes first to mind, you just you just belt it out. Copy or art? Copy, absolutely. Words, man. I mean, art takes a lot of time, but you know, three words could throw you. Off. I love you, Ali. That, that kind of throws you off, doesn't it? Data or creativity. I'm sorry, man. There's a <laughs> there's a big there's a big sign outside my door. <laughs> It says, data, don't dream. Uh, Ogilvy or BBDO? Oh man, that's a tough one. I had a great time at BBDO. I had a great time at BBDO. But there are so many people that I hold in such high esteem at Ogilvy because uh, they taught me so much. It's hard to find mentors in this business. But BBDO was just like, absolutely, it was such fun. It was just a party town, you know. The clients were great. The people were fun. I had, I had, a, I had a riotous time there three years. I but I knew like, it was just too much whiskey. You know? I had, it was just too much whiskey under the bridge. I had to go, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But Ogilvy is difficult. Ogilvy is difficult to stand out because you know, it's, it's a big place. But because it's a big place, right, the chance of meeting someone amazing right, you know, goes up you know, exponentially. You know? Uh, Guangzhou or Shanghai? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Okay. My, during my stint in Guangzhou, my work got uglier and uglier because... <laughs> You know, I think you're you're influenced by your environment. Your sense of aesthetics. Shanghai is just absolutely gorgeous. You know, is is it difficult to live here? Yes, it is because uh, it gets lonely. You, you're surrounded by people, but you're always lonely. Yeah, but it, it's stunning. As a city, I, I cannot recommend it enough, right, for any young people who want to come here and just check it out, you know. You don't have to work here. You don't have to live here, but just come. Take a look, you know. Uh, films or ads? I actually like 
ads. I hate I hate to say it, but I like okay. I, I'm not copying out here. Okay, I like ads right because creativity right solves problems, and I like problem solving. But films for me are very personal, so I don't engage them right as much as I do advertising. And I can rewatch the same film again and again and again and again. You know. So it's yeah, I, I that's a tough one, man. I can't I can't answer that. Sorry. Um, AI or ideas? That's a tough one, man. I mean, I think artificial intelligence because it it accrues and aggregates all of human wisdom, right? You know, it delivers stuff that perhaps ninety nine percent of us can't. But it still hasn't written a, a, a Game of Thrones. It still hasn't written a, you know Lord of the Rings. So until that day comes about, I'll choose ideas. You know. I've had a number of conversations around ideas and uh, versus artificial intelligence, and the belief is, and, and I always draw a comparison between the Mona Lisa or you know Michelangelo and art, uh, art that's been human man-made, crafted by man, and that's always going to have greater weight and greater value than anything. Even art and ideas, so we have to draw a line. Because I mean, uh, uh, a, a more scientific definition of ideas the, is to combine two or more disparate things into something that's new and, and you know but art serves itself art almost wants to, to to create an ideal that we can reach for art is a way right that a human being can experience something that he has not experienced himself personally you know art in any form or in any media so so sometimes it's a bit of it's, it's a bit more analog than we like to think it's not either or and if one day we do reach a stage whereby you know AI develops its own consciousness whenever that day is, right? Then maybe it's time for us to leave, humans, I mean. Um, insights or opportunities? Opportunities, absolutely. Because a lot of times, right, in our business, right, everyone shares the same insights, but not many people grab the opportunities, you know? Yeah, so I, I think, that's why I always tell my clients, right, the insights you're looking at now, right, which are great, because every idea must have an insight behind it, otherwise it's not going to really resonate, right? It's like, it's in every movie, you know, there's a plot and there's a theme. You got to have a theme, the A story and the B story. But how many people, right, actually look at the insight and say, you know what, we can do something different here and actually go for it, you know? So, opportunities. Uh, the Navy or the Army? The Navy, absolutely. I look great in white. Okay, red or blue? Uh, red, unfortunately. Because, I mean, blue has served me all my life. Thank God for Pepsi. But I, I, I look horrible in red. Horrible. You know, it just, it draws me in. When I see a, a woman wearing, you know, a little slip in red, a little sweater, you know, it just draws me in, you know. So. Pinstripe suit or a t-shirt and jeans? Pinstripe suit. We all should look a little better, I think. And uh, especially in Shanghai, where you can get a tailored suit for so little by really good tailors. I think everyone should have a suit. Um, I've given away a lot of my, my uh, off-the-rack suits, and most of my suits now are tailored. I think it's, it's I hear the sound like a prissy person, but I think it's, it shows a form of respect to the clients sometimes and to your the people around you. So I like wearing suits, yeah. yeah. Andrew, uh, it was really an honor uh, to have you on the podcast. We talked about having it, we finally did it, and it was definitely worth it. We could easily... Uh, we could do many more episodes and really thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Bryce. And you know what? I got to, I got to reiterate again. 
I'm so proud of what you guys have done here. I'm so proud. Thanks, man. Really? Yeah. No, season two, man. This is the maiden voyage season of season two, two. You're it, Andrew. So thank you very much uh, for being on the show. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's episode. Join us in two weeks for another exciting show. And to all our listeners, until then, have a great day. Thank you.